NYCApartmentZone.com. From New York City, this is the NYC Zone Teams Podcast. A show where we discuss everything about New York City real estate. And much more. You have questions, we have answers. And now, here are your hosts, John and Nikolai. Hello everyone, we are here with NYC Zone Team with another episode on our podcast channel. Uh, we have an amazing guest here, uh, his name is Paul. Paul, why don't you go introduce yourself? Sure, thank you Nikolai, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Paul Beck, I'm a business advisor with a CPA firm, Marlin Weiner & Evans. Uh, we're located in Garden City, New York and here in New York City. Okay, wonderful. Well, thanks so much for coming again. We're very excited. Um, the way I met Paul was actually at a networking group that we're both a part of. So we also met after we had a long conversation about the clients that Paul works with. And um, I just wanted to point out that he works on a lot of things that are on a very large scale. So as a result, a lot of his clients have um, very large net worth. And uh, like you mentioned before, he's uh, not just a CPA, he's a trusted advisor. I think that's important to yes. point out because um, his job is to consult. We consult people in real estate in position in their property. He consults them on a even larger scale in regards to all of their assets. That's correct. And uh, I felt like it would be a good combination to discuss um, what he does and what we do and uh, how can people, especially investors, save money through real estate. So, you know, we'd love to, we'd love to hear your opinion and uh, see how it could be helpful for our listeners. Sure, sure. As you mentioned, uh, a lot of our clients are high net worth. Um, a lot of them are business owners. Mm -hmm. So um, I work with a lot of business owners who, you know, they got into business because they wanted to make more money, yeah. keep more of the money they make. That's usually where the tax planning and savings come in. And uh, improve the value of their business and live the life that they want to lead. Yeah. Uh, what, what do they aspire to? Uh, and oftentimes, you know, it's they want uh, ways in which they can best invest their money, uh, reduce their taxes. Of course. And real estate is a great vehicle for that. So, uh, work with business owners who may have their own business outside of real estate. It may be manufacturing and distribution, service industry, mm -hmm. a number of people I work with. And then there are those who are you know, active in the real estate industry who are investors, landlords, uh, um, they have developers. Uh, so it varies. Uh, many of my clients who are not directly focused on the real estate industry, they may have a business and that business may own the property that, that they uh, have their headquarters in. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, they may realize the benefits of real estate investment. And I think that's what we'll talk about is yeah. some of the things that I've seen um, people do, some of the things that we advise them to do if they're not doing already, uh, some of the new programs that are out there that they can take advantage of. Um, so when you look at some of the largest companies in the real estate industry, the developers, um, they certainly know a lot of these techniques. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
you know, one of the first things we talk to them about is uh, how do you set up your company? You know, they typically first thing dealing with an attorney. And that attorney's going to advise them to set up an LLC, right? Yep. So the, the business owner, the, uh, the real estate professional knows that LLCs are the way to go, but the average person doesn't necessarily know that or doesn't know why, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it starts from a, a legal standpoint, right? Uh, you should not hold the real estate if you can. Yep. Uh, you should try not to hold it personally just for legal liability reasons. Uh, and then, so setting up uh, some type of entity to hold that real estate is great. And then an LLC, because it, it gives you certain advantages that other corporate structures do not allow. Um, so you can, you can take advantage of some losses. And one of the things people always hear about with real estate is the ability to appreciate. Yeah. You know, it was just in the news, like, Donald Trump, our, our president, has a tremendous amount of real estate, and uh, he's well, talking about the yes. yes, the great losses that he has, and he said a lot of it's from depreciation, um, which which is true of many real estate investors. Uh, the depreciation is a beautiful thing; it allows them to uh, make a tremendous investment and offset the expense against their income. And I feel like that's where it's important to have uh, somebody like yourself by their side because from my opinion, I know some things can be partially depreciated, I know other things can be depreciated 100% within the first year and uh, I feel like an average consumer and a lot of real estate agents wouldn't really know those things so they do need to consult somebody the way I see it is somebody paying a fee to a professional like yourself is going to save them a tremendous amount of money in the long run, maybe even in the short run, to be honest. Yeah, no, in the short run, uh, certainly with the ability now to, to really take advantage of bonus depreciation, um, there's different types of depreciation out there other than just simple, you know, think of... You invest in a property, it may have a life of 40 years, you depreciate whatever the value was, a million dollars over 40 years, let's say. Uh, or if it's a residential, you may say 27 and a half years, 30 years, depending on um, the depreciation rules that apply to that, that type of property. Um, so there's, there's bonus depreciation that people maybe heard of with the new tax law, and there's something called Section 179 that's available for certain types of assets. Not really important to get too caught up in tax codes and, and so forth, but just to know that it's out there, that you can take advantage, um, and the government's really made it uh, advantageous in particular for real estate investors. Uh, that that ability to offset their income with depreciation. Would you say that the new tax code that you know has undergone tremendous changes in the last couple of years with the new uh, presidency? Do you think it added new advantages of owning real estate, or stayed about the same? What, what it was in your opinion? I, I'd say uh, it retains a lot of the advantages. Um, it's uh, provided some advantages for business owners in particular, any type of business owner in general, but then they, they, st- they made very specific rules and said, okay, uh, 
certain types of business owners who invest in real estate, uh, who are involved in the development of real estate, like an engineer, an architect, certain people who are involved in manufacturing, um, things where, as they said, it's not important that uh, the business isn't focused on your skill and reputation. Mm -hmm. So if it's what they call the qualified business, uh, as opposed to a specified service. So the specified service businesses, those do not get the same types of advantages okay. that uh, some of these qualified businesses are. But a real estate, a real estate professional, uh, or landlords or clients who are involved in real estate, they get that advantage. Um, that advantage is a, a pass-through deduction that you may have heard of. They get this 20% deduction yep. based on a calculation of um, the qualified business income. Um, now there's all kinds of limitations involved that you have to consider. Uh, I'm not going to get into that, but that added like another advantage to the real estate, um, to holding real estate, to investing in real estate. Um, the and on top of that, um, we talked about bonus depreciation. That that improved with the new law. Okay. Bonus depreciation was always there, so that's something that was retained, but they improved upon it. Okay, made it more advantageous. Um, yeah, they, they really provided a lot of um, changes in the tax law that benefited real estate in particular. So I'm just curious, you know, let's say I just purchased an apartment and um, I'm doing some renovations. I, let's say I put 30000 between the kitchen, the bathroom, and um, I put some, you know, fairly cheap flooring into the unit. Um, can I depreciate the cost uh, of all of those appliances, uh, the bathroom renovation, and the flooring? Could it be done in one year? Does it have to be stretched out over a period of years? Right. So as a real estate investor, right, because you know, now we're talking about you as an individual, mm -hmm. right, not necessarily the, the person who's invested uh, all of their time, they're actively involved in real estate. But let's just say, yes, you can depreciate um, you know, those improvements. So there's certain improvements where you could say, uh, well, it's, a, it's an appliance, uh, maybe I could depreciate it over seven years. Um, maybe it's uh, you know, furniture, seven years. Or maybe it's something that's um, a little more of a, an improvement to the, um, the, uh, the um, not necessarily appliances or furniture, but something that improves the uh, uh, building itself. So that might be 15-year property. You might be able to depreciate over 15 years. Because okay. there's one aspect of the tax rule that unfortunately they did not clarify. So <laughs> we're waiting on Congress to kind of amend uh, um, the law and make it clear as to um, how you can depreciate certain property. But regardless of whether it's five years, seven years, 15, yeah. 30 years, um, just to know that um, you have that ability to depreciate that asset yeah. you know, yeah. and, and offset that income that you might be generating. Yeah, that's that, that's pretty amazing. At least you know you you're taking advantage of the money that you're spending, and I feel like that's the goal with real estate. Um, and it seems like depreciation is really like a huge topic. You probably can speak for hours about depreciation alone, as I feel like there are a lot of different nitty gritty parts to it, which will 
depend on people's situation, what type of improvements they've done, and how depreciation could be structured. But uh, what else is there that we could use advantage of in real estate? Uh, well, the appreciation of real estate itself is, is certainly a tremendous uh, advantage um, because when you think about your real estate is thrown off rental income, mm -hmm. so you have that sort of like a, an investment that throws off a dividend. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, just like an investment that appreciates like uh, any blue chip stock, yeah. not only does it pay a dividend, it also has appreciation. So real estate has enjoyed tremendous appreciation over the over the years since the uh, you know the uh, financial uh, the the Great Recession that we went through. Uh, it's appreciated significantly, of course, in New York City, um, and uh, you know it's just a question of when is that cycle turning? Of course. But things are still, you know, valuations are still very high, you know, throughout the city and throughout the country, really. Um, so the appreciation is really a great advantage. Um, and then when you sell property, you have to keep in mind, well, that's often where the tax is going to come in, mm -hmm. capital gains tax. Now, there's a beautiful thing out there called uh, a 1031 exchange. <laughs> yes. That you've heard of, right? Yep, yep. Um, we, we've had a little bit of a conversation in another episode um, with a qualified intermediary from yes. New York um, that went in regards to 1031 exchange and um, how it could really help you not to avoid the taxes, but to defer the taxes, which I think a lot of people had misconception originally about, but in reality, just defer the taxes. You can defer it forever, but at some point, you'll have to pay it, basically. Right. right. And that, but the, uh, the ability to take advantage of that, um, and, and really, uh, there's a lot of aspects that um, to the 1031 exchange that are um, something that you, you experience from a tax saving standpoint that you can't get through other uh, investments. Um, for instance, you can keep turning over that investment to another 1031 exchange. Mm -hmm. And eventually, uh, you know, that, that property could be um, passed to your, uh, your children, uh, you know, whoever, um, you know, upon your demise receives your assets. Yep. And they can get a step up in the basis, right? Mm -hmm. Which is right there. They just saved. You just saved all that tax on the. Uh, well, you may have purchased that hundred thousand dollars. It's now worth a million dollars. You got to step up in that basis to the million dollars. Yeah. Um, so there's a tremendous saving there. Now there's another aspect that's similar to 1031 with the new tax law, and that's you may have heard of. Qualified opportunity zones, mm -hmm. right? Which is brand new. Yes, much. It's yeah, very new. True, right? It came out with a new tax code. There wasn't a lot of guidance. More guidance has come out. People are still asking for additional guidance. Yeah. Um, because this is the year, 2019, when people are really going to look to start investing. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's some great advantages to it. Um, just basically, you have the ability to take. An asset, well, it's any asset generally, whereas 1031 has now been modified so that it only applies to real estate property. Whereas people used to take uh, maybe art, 
and reinvest that in yep. the 1031 exchange. That no longer is um, applicable, no longer possible under the new tax law. But with a qualified opportunity zone, you can take any asset, uh, essentially, and convert that into um, an investment in the property. And unlike the 1031 exchange where you're investing proceeds, you're investing the gain, just the gain, so you don't have to take all the proceeds, but just the gain from that asset that you sold, put it into a qualified opportunity fund, and you defer the gain. And if you hold it there for five years, you knock the gain down 10%. If you hold it there for seven years, um, I say knock the gain down, but really what happens is the, the basis that they calculate the gain on goes up 10%. Uh, if you hold it for seven years, it goes up to 15%. And then if you hold that investment in the fund, in the Qualified Opportunity Fund, for 10 years, through uh, 20, well, past uh, 2019, I suppose. You hold it there for 10 years, there's no, uh, you still have to pay by 2026 the gain on that uh, original investment. Um, but you get that, that reduction in basis. You get the, um, the advantage of the reduction in the gain due to the increase in the basis. But on top of it, you get the advantage of whatever you invested in that fund and the gains that you've enjoyed while that money's been invested in the fund, you hold it in there for 10 years, you do not have any capital gains tax. That's, <laughs> so, that's pretty phenomenal. There's no other right. asset. Uh, There's nothing out there. So yeah. people who know real estate, you know, the big movers and shakers of the world in the real estate industry love that idea. Um, because they're fully invested in real estate and they understand uh, they're going to stay invested for another 10 years. And, mm -hmm. so, you know, so it's not a problem for them. It's not a problem for them. So the average investor keeping something somewhere for 10 years, they're going to have to think carefully about it. Mm -hmm. um, it's not as, it, it doesn't become as liquid as going and putting it in the exactly. stock market, basically. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's other investments, certainly in real estate, that you can uh, be able to move the money in and out of a little easier than that. But uh, for those who are able to, it's um, tremendous savings. So there's there's dozens, there's over a hundred, I believe, at this point, qualified opportunity funds set up. Just another thing that a high net worth individual would consider investing in. Um, and they've, they've identified, the government's identified a number of zones throughout the country and when people are saying, you know, there's some zones they identify that, um, you know, there's focused on improving those disadvantaged areas, economically disadvantaged areas. But there's some where people are saying, hey, it's it's right on the border of a really thriving area of a, yep. a city of some type of uh, um, area that's really thriving and coming up. Mm -hmm. And people are saying, well, I can I can enjoy that really spectacular returns right away. Yeah, and within 10 years, and then to not pay as much of a tax, that's, that sounds like a fantastic deal. Even though it's very new and we're gonna see where it takes us, but the whole idea um, sounds very, very compelling, I think. And then hopefully it should help boost the neighborhoods that actually do need that. Yes, yes, um, that's, that's the idea. The government's hoping that it improves those areas. I'm also very curious about the 
income that you usually receive from rental properties, whether it's commercial or residential. Um, let's say I'm receive, let's say I'm a W two employee, and I'm receiving hundred thousand dollars salary, um, and I'm getting about roughly about thirty percent tax on it, right? And if I'm receiving hundred thousand from rental income properties, I believe my taxes would be less from that amount, right? You're talking about uh, the type of income now? Um, no, basically, I'm just comparing having income from W-2 or having income from my rental properties. Where would the taxation be less, where would it be more, and which one is more beneficial? No, it, it wouldn't necessarily be less because the, the income is, when you're an investor who is, what I'd say, passive, you're a passive investor, right? That's just the type of income. So they're, they're, uh, the IRS, the tax authorities are going to look at that as a type of income that's um, not considered your ordinary income, right? Uh, so it's passive income. So there's some limitations. There's some limitations as to uh, passive losses, how, you, how much those passive losses can offset passive income. Mm -hmm. But the, the taxes essentially can be calculated on, on your overall income. Okay. It's the capital gains. So when that passive investor perhaps sells that property, maybe that's what you're thinking of. When they, when they have capital gains, then they're going to pay a lower tax rate because gains are being taxed at essentially 20%. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are various rates depending on when your income falls, but for the most part, many people are falling around 20%. There could be another tax on top of that. People call it Obama tax. You just have to keep that in mind. That's 3.8%. So just keep that in mind. Essentially, people just think 20% think on capital gains in general. Okay. So you do get the advantage of, like you said, um, let's say your effective tax rate was somewhere around 30%. Typically, when you sell that real estate and have capital gains, it's 20%. So there is a tax savings there. Okay, very interesting. Um, what else is there? <laughs> uh, I guess there's a, there's a whole number of things, but um, I don't want to get into all of them. I, I know that um, one of the things we listed on our uh, possible uh, investment ideas for people out there is flipping. You know, people uh, like the idea. Uh, you know, this came out years ago, and there's umpteen number of shows out there. Yeah, I feel like there was a whole property boom. flippers. There was a whole boom in regards to being a real estate agent and being a property flipper. <laughs> right, right. So again, they're taking advantage of real estate appreciation, and possibly they had to hold on to it, getting income for some period of time. Mm -hmm. And then there's the idea of like, well, okay, how do I structure it? You know, again, go back to what I said at the beginning, try to structure it in LLCs, try to hold on to the property in a way that um, is most advantageous to you, try to see if you can um, do exchanges. Um, but the, the property flipper typically is, is, is really focused on the, the quick gain, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, their ability to identify undervalued properties yeah. and then get that gain. So what happens when they sell it, if they're, if they're only doing it occasionally, 
they can they can make the argument that they're a passive investor and get that twenty percent tax rate. Yeah. But if it's something where you watch those people on the shows who are constantly doing it, yeah. that is their ordinary income. Mm-hmm. So they would be taxed at that higher rate, but they're also running a business there, so they're they're able to write off all the costs that they have, yes. uh, yeah. and they're going to have significant costs, of course. Because they put a lot of money into renovations and all of those things. Right, so there are different aspects of what they're doing um, they can take advantage of. But uh, you shouldn't get too caught up, of course, mm-hmm. on just the taxes, right? Because yeah. the beautiful thing you should really focus on in real estate is what we said about the two prongs of um, income. It's the ordinary income from the rental income that's being generated, like a dividend. And then the second income is the capital gains, the, yep. the gains that you have mm-hmm. when you sell the appreciated property. Exactly. And, and you should focus on that. And yes, you're going to have to pay taxes, but some of these ideas like depreciation and 1031 and so on and qualified opportunity give you advantages to try to reduce, try to lessen that tax burden. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, there's, there's so much opportunity out there. Um, people just need to yeah, meet with some advisors and, and find out what's the uh, best way to go about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds very interesting, especially um, when, we, when you and I met originally for a cup of coffee some time ago, you discussed how one of your clients had a huge tax bill of like, I think $70,000, $80,000. Um, after running a you know good sized business but nothing out of this world, and uh, then you were able to significantly lower her taxes. You were lower them to what like ten, fifteen thousand from seventy thousand. It's just just through some tax planning, yeah. uh, taking advantage of um, that was a bit different. You know, retirement plans. Mm-hmm. Um, does have some real estate, so she has some investments there. Um, so um, being a little more careful about, uh, hey, if you, if you really need to make an improvement, maybe now's the year because you've got the ability to take some bonus depreciation. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, if you're coming up close to the end of the year, maybe if you're making some repairs, make them now instead of waiting till January. Mm-hmm. Because of course, you know, the tax bill is coming soon. So. Yeah make those repairs now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, some basic things, but it was also just, uh, in general, planning, like going throughout the year uh, over her financials, her um, calculation of her ultimate tax liability, projecting it out, what do we think it's going to be? And just by spending time, you do a monthly, a quarterly basis, but in the past it wasn't being done it's only being done, you know, like April fourteenth, <laughs> which isn't planning at all. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, so that's that's what I bring to the client is uh, having that relationship uh, that's very, um, you know, entwined with not just their business but also their their personal. Um, you know, what are they doing? This this person has had their own service industry uh, business, plus they have real estate investments. They're, they have a lot going on, and uh, just providing them the advice and insights that I've, you know, garnered over 20 years, yeah. uh, and and spending time with them. That's that's really you know where the uh, the service 
comes in, right, of, of being a trusted advisor. And I also want to point out another thing that really caught my ear when you were saying it. Um, you mentioned that whenever the client calls you, if it's uh, just, uh, you know, medium-sized or minor things, you're not going to go ahead and build empowerment for that stuff. Um, I think that's a huge help so people don't have to feel scared about calling you um, and not being scared about getting billed because I feel like sometimes the little call that they're going to make to you and they feel comfortable about making the call to you, I think it might make them um, a lot of money and it might save you a lot of headache down the line because you won't have to come in later and be like, well, it's too late at this point. Instead, they can consult you on basis like that, which is right. a huge advantage. Yeah, we spoke about um, you know, a lot of it is expectations. Mm -hmm. Similar to your expectation about your tax bill, if, if you communicate often and you have a discussion about expectations and you, you come up with a reasonable um, uh, understanding, such as, well, hey, if, if you're concerned about calling me for uh, a 15 minute conversation uh, and that you're gonna get a bill every time, well, let's make an arrangement so that I'm compensated properly uh, and it might be, this is the fee that'll cover us for, uh, for the year, mm -hmm. for the quarter, yep. you know, however we arrange it, so that we're both happy, so both sides feel happy. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to be in a situation where they're not going to call for that uh, 15 minute, half an hour conversation because they're worried that they're going to get a bill every single time, right? They should feel comfortable that, yeah, when I say I'm a trusted advisor first, CPA and compliance second, I, w I want to have that open line of communication. And oftentimes you can't have that kind of relationship if they're constantly thinking in the back of the mind, you know, the meter's ticking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of uh, the meter's running and, um, <laughs> you know, is this really worth uh, a conversation with, with my advisor? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want them to think that, you know, that their, their questions are stupid. Right? Mm -hmm. People are saying, oh, let me ask you a stupid question. There's no stupid questions. Exactly. So, Especially when it comes to taxes and everything. I don't expect you to know everything about uh, taxes. I hope you don't expect me to know everything about the law. Or yeah. know everything about uh, buying and selling property. Or know everything about uh, how to manufacture a widget. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think kind of just to sum up our conversation, um, I think it, in a lot of ways it depends on what type of situation the person is in, um, whether they're doing real estate full-time as an investor right. or if um, real estate is just a certain portion of their portfolio. And I think that's where Paul can um, advise of what can really be done. Um, depend and, and everybody's situation is going to be different. I'm sure for some people yes. it's going to make sense to have just one property to um, take um, you know take advantage of some depreciation, uh, write off perhaps the interest, and you know do little things like that. And for others, I'm sure it might make sense to do a whole development in the opportunity zone. So I hope for our listeners we um, briefly discuss some of the major parts where real estate can help you on your personal side, on your business side. And of course, uh, if you have further questions, you can reach out to Paul, you can reach out to, to us. We're happy to get into the nitty gritty, into all the details, see what your situation is, because we're here to 
consult and um, try to find the right answers for everybody's individual situation. Exactly, right. Everyone has got their own mm -hmm. uh, different way of uh, investing in, in real estate, right? And just like you said, there's the individual investor, the high net worth, the, the experienced investor, the real estate professional, uh, and then the, the major developers that we work with where um, yeah, much more complicated aspects of their business have to be dealt with, uh, both from a tax standpoint and a financial statement standpoint, and dealing with uh, regulations on a local level. Uh, so it, it all depends, but yeah, you have to um, customize to the client's needs. Yeah, and I just think it's important to look not just at the number of money that you're making per year. I think it's also very important to see how much you're going to net after all the taxes because I feel like two people that are making the same amount of money can be netting a very different amount depending on how it is structured. Absolutely, yeah, that's where the planning comes in. And uh, right before we finish, actually, um, I would like to ask you for two things. I know you have a non-profit, so I just want to—I just want you to mention it uh, for a little bit of extra advertisement for it, and at the same time, if you could let people know for professional purposes where uh, where they can reach you if they do want to continue the conversation further and consult you. Sure, sure. Thank you. So, uh, what you're alluding to is the not-for-profit I'm on the board of. Uh, it's called the Angel Compass Network for Charity, mm -hmm. and we call it Angel Compass. For short, okay. uh, so it's kind of I like to describe it as a mini United Way, in that we provide grants to charities, kind of on a very local basis. Um, you know, some bigger than others, but generally we provide grants to charities that benefit local kids in need. So whether it's kids' education, their health, you know, athletics. Get, you know, keeping kids active, whatever it is, um, we're focused on helping kids in need. So it's a number of professionals throughout New York City, the surrounding area, who really got together and wanted to give something back to the community. So we have events throughout the year. We have an event uh, May 14th. So it's uh, coming up, we're doing a poker event. We've got... Uh, number of events that we do typically on like on a rooftop and uh, yeah it's, it's an organization I've been involved with for a little over five years so Angel Compass Network you should look for it okay. uh, www.angelcompass.org okay. uh, and uh, you asked about how to contact me um, so again it's Paul Becht and my telephone is 516 you might want to spell it out though <laughs> <laughs> My, my phone is 516-240-1495, and my email is my first initial P, and my last name is Becht, B as in boy, E-C-H-T, at M-W-E, that's the Marble and Wider Evans, M as in Mary, W as in William, E as in Eric, L-L-P.com. So P, Becht, at M-W-E-L-L-P.com. Wonderful. So this wraps up um, our episode on our podcast. Thanks again so much for coming. This was Thank great. You for um, this is a lot of great information. 
And um, for our listeners, if you guys want to learn more about us, uh, our webpage is nycapartmentzone.com. And you can always reach us via email at zone at nyczoneteam.com uh, or look us up on um, Facebook or Instagram at NYC Apartment Zone. And uh, look forward to the next episode. Great, take care. Guys.